If you're a regular Geek's Guide to the Galaxy listener, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. And I want to give a special thank you to Tinstar in Denmark, who just gave us this five-star review. It says, Unrivaled quality content. I simply haven't found anything close to having the same level of quality. The host is so well prepared that most other podcasts I listen to simply pale in comparison. So big thanks again to Tinstar for that great review. All right, so now let's get to our show. Wired.com presents The Geek's Guide to the Galaxy. And here is your host, David Barr Kirtley. Hello, and welcome to episode 560 of Geek's Guide to the Galaxy. Today on the show, we'll be discussing seasons 3 and 4 of the Apple TV Plus series for all mankind. And we previously discussed seasons 1 and 2 back in episode 556. So definitely check that out if you missed it. And this will include spoilers for everything in Seasons 3 and 4, so just be aware of that. And I'm joined by three guests. So first up, we've got our producer, John Joseph Adams. He's the editor of Lightspeed Magazine, and the series editor of The Best American Science Fiction and Fantasy. And he's also edited more than 40 other anthologies. His most recent projects are the Amazon Original Stories Collection, The Far Reaches, Featuring stories by James S. A. Corey, Veronica Roth, John Scalzi, Nettie Korafor, Rebecca Roanhorse, and Anne Leckie, and Out There Screaming, an anthology of new black horror, which he edited with Jordan Peele. So, John, welcome back. Always good to be here. The next up, we've got Sarah Lynn Mishner, making her 28th appearance on the show. She's the author of many essays, mostly on the intersection between fandom, science fiction, feminism, and social justice with titles such as Science Fiction Often Wins the Bechdel Test by Breaking It, which is part of its job. She's also the Chief Creative Officer at Lightburn Software, so she has access to an army of laser cutters, and she just finished pulling off the company's first convention. So Sarah, welcome to the show. Happy to be here. And also joining us today is Raphael Jordan, making his 18th appearance on the show. He's written over 25 feature films, including Lost Colony, The Legend of Roanoke, The Immortal Voyage of Captain Drake, and Star Runners. He also co-created and co-wrote Salvage Marines, a space opera series starring Casper Van Dien and Peter Shinkoda, and he's also the lead guitarist of Visera, an L.A.-based rock band who provided music for the series. So, Raphael, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me back. Okay, so let's start off with Sarah. And have you give us your overall impressions of seasons three and four? (laughs) It's very broad. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, I I, I can only think of really specific criticisms and specific things I loved. And we're not really talking about specifics here. But um, I loved it because I love this show. So even though I do have some minor criticisms, overall, I am so excited. This is one of those shows that I'm just most excited that is being out right now. And I hope it gets to all seven seasons. Hmm. Well, so like in our last panel, we talked about seasons one and two. And so like, how do you feel seasons three and four? Or would you say they're about as good, better, not quite as good? I think, uh, I think they're better in different ways or as good in different ways. Like it's, it's very, it's a very different vibe in a lot of ways. Um, because, you know, the first 
two seasons feel like, especially the first season, feels like Apollo 13 as a series. Um, and then, and so much of it is about nostalgia. And there's less nostalgia because obviously as the, you know, this fictional space program advances far beyond, it's much more of a wistful, you know, why didn't we have that (laughs) feeling? Um, But, you know, and there's a lot more, I think there's also a difference in the perception of memory because the, you know, when you grow up in the, in the eighties, in my case, learning about the 60s, it feels like this very lovely story and this very noble, full of noble sacrifices of these lovely men. And then when you, um, when you get to, you know, the, the, the show that's covering like the 90s and stuff, you know, you see like the, the uprising of, of the tech bro, <laughs> hmm. you know, so I think a lot of it really has to do with the fact that they have entirely different material to work with. But overall, I think because the character development is so freaking strong, um, it's wonderful to see where these characters go and where they end up, you know, that we've been following since the 60s. Hmm. How about Raphael? Like, how do you, how did you feel seasons three and four compared to seasons one and two? You know, I still think it's one of the best shows on TV for sure. Um, You know, I don't know if I loved the show as much in seasons three and four. At some point, the show starts to um, feel the weight of its own premise, you know, skipping ahead decades, you know, and the the revolving door nature of the cast. Um, So, you know, it is what it is because it's really interesting. and, And I like the idea that we're skipping ahead eight, 10 years every season. It's just, you know, we do start to lose characters at some point that that we love and kind of associate with the show. And then we're kind of asked to like new characters. And, you know, I'm really curious to see where it goes in the next three seasons. But, uh, yeah, I'm still along for the ride, obviously. But I don't know if I've loved it as much. Hmm. Yeah. And also, uh, there's an increasing uh, disjunction between the actual age of the actors <laughs> and the uh, age of the characters that they're playing so mm-hmm. that's an additional challenge for the for the show i'd be uh, happy to broadly generalize about season three and four okay uh yeah so um i uh yeah i feel like seasons one and two were largely perfect and i f- and i really struggled to come up with criticisms but with three and four i definitely found it very easy to come up with criticisms um, I feel like the the science fiction slash space elements are still good. Um, and then but then the drama side of things, I felt like that's where it um, isn't as good. Almost like they had the same team who was working on all the speculative stuff, but then they have a different team that's working on the drama stuff. Um, you know, uh, I mean, I don't imagine they actually have separate teams for that, but that's what it kind of feels like. Um so, uh, yeah, I was, I was a little grumpy about, uh, a lot of both seasons. Um, which is not to say that there's not any heights. I mean, I think the first episode of season three is amazing and was so tense that I was like, I was like in a, in a weirdly emotional state after that episode where I was like, I couldn't even talk about it. Cause I'm <laughs> like, Oh my God, it was just so <laughs> tense and amazing. Um, and uh, unfortunately, I feel like it actually that was that was the peak of season three and four. So, uh, you know, I, I don't know that that would have been where I would want wanted the peak to be. But um, for me, that's where it was. So, um, yeah, it, it never quite got up to the level that I was hoping for based on season one and two. Huh, that's interesting because I, you know, I had like a very specific problem with season three. Mm-hmm. Um, but but I liked all the space stuff, as mm-hmm. you're saying, all the like 
you know, science fiction, future technology, yeah. you know, exploration. I think and if, if, if you, if you look at it from the perspective of the seven seasons being one long story, mm. it kind of makes sense, right? Because in the middle of the story is where things kind of change and in, you know, we're ramping up from having this very NASA focused space program to having all of these different players. And I think that, you know, it's possible that part of it is just this structural thing that happens if you have this longer story, especially the, you know, the, the ambitions that they have for where they're supposed to end up in season seven. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But well, I was going to say though, that season four, I, I didn't have, I had like one specific, like it's a really, really small thing, but it really, really bugged me that we'll get to, but uh, overall I yeah. was really, really happy with season four. So, you know, is the small thing like everything Ed Baldwin does. <laughs> no, 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 no. I don't want to get into it right now. No. But, uh, well, you know, it's well, worth mentioning too, Dave, that you just pretty much saw the whole show in a matter of yeah. what, four weeks instead yeah. of uh, so that that'll give a different viewing experience too. So that's kind of interesting because mm -hmm. you've had to process the whole show in a short amount of time. Yeah, well, that's a that's a good point. That yeah, maybe I don't have as much nostalgia for seasons one and two, you know, as if I had, you know, if it had been years since I saw season one. I'm kind of thinking back on mm -hmm. on how how I remember it. Um, but yeah, let's start off with the uh, the awesome um, uh, premiere uh, mm -hmm. for season three, which I agree was absolutely spectacular. Uh, so basically, what happens is that. Uh, and there's like so many characters, you guys might need to help me out with some of these details. But let's see. So basically, uh, Ed Baldwin's wife, Karen, is now divorced from him and is remarried to um, Sam. What was his name? The, the sort of tycoon guy. Yeah. Wait, was she and, married to him or just business partners with him? Uh, they're business partners and they're in a romantic relationship. Oh, they right? are. Okay. I, I wasn't I wasn't entirely sure. Okay, sure. Um, in, but in any, he used in to it, be married to um, uh, Gordo's <laughs> to wife. Tracy, yeah, yeah, Tracy Stevens, yeah. Um, so in an, in any event, whatever their relationship is, <laughs> they've started a like space hotel together, uh, which produces artificial gravity by having this ring that spins, and so some debris from a, a North Korean rocket or something, you know, mm -hmm. um, uh, comes in and damages one of the thrusters that creates the spin and so that they can't turn it off and so the the ring starts spinning faster and faster and so there's this uh increasing gravity that they can't shut off that is gradually going to crush everybody and, and eventually rip the whole station apart so uh so rafael what did you think about that hmm. that whole uh scenario yeah, I agree that that first episode was pretty spectacular. Um, if there's one thing the show always does well, it's the season openers and the finales. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, I thought that was a thrilling installment, and it really kind of gave Danny Stevens, you know, his moment to shine as a character. Um, and you know, that probably perhaps leads into what some of us might have as a as a small criticism of season three but uh we mm -hmm. can get into that later yeah let's but let's not get into mm -hmm. danny stevens criticism <laughs> just yet <laughs> not just um, yet but but, but yeah um great it, episode and, and you know I, I i like the new dynamic with karen and ed being divorced but still very you know respectful and friendly even though there's some obviously envy there mm -hmm. uh-huh but this this idea that they can't stop the ring from spinning faster and faster and increasing the gravity more and more, I feel like that's such an obvious science fiction idea that I shouldn't mm -hmm. see it all the time. But like mm -hmm. off the top of my head, I can't think of another example. So mm -hmm. I don't know if anyone else can think of another example off the top of their head, but I'm just like, 
yeah, the, the show keeps doing these things that like in retrospect, you're like, oh, yeah, of course, of course, a space show should do this. Mm-hmm. But then there aren't really that many examples I can think of. Uh, uh, you know, well, I think but, a lot of shows in particular, they uh, they go for the, the more hand wavy uh, sort of artificial gravity thing that doesn't have an explanation like, you know, like on, like on Star Trek, where it's just like, you know, OK, uh, inertial dampeners or whatever, um, <laughs> instead of like, OK, here's the actual science based thing of centrifugal force or whatever and and, you know this is how we're generating the gravity um so uh if if they did that more i think you'd see it more but um but yeah i agree and i do like the idea also that you know even though the show is advancing very rapidly you know ahead of our timeline technologically it's almost too rapid you know like their their reach exceeds their grasp sometimes Mm -hmm. and this kind of illustrated that i mean but of course that is what's pushing the the new frontiers of the show Mm -hmm. is that they're willing to take these chances that they're not even quite ready for yet Mm -hmm. i mean one thing i liked about the approach that they took in that episode is that everyone's smart and everyone's trying to solve the problem Mm -hmm. in a you know in a realistic kind of competent way and i feel like in most hollywood movies you know like the disaster would have been like Two people had snuck off to have sex and they accidentally like knocked over the lever that makes it makes it spin faster. You know, yeah. it's like something like that. Whereas in this, you know, the the commander of the uh, station's like, oh, you know, we knew about this debris, but mm. you know, the projections were that it would miss us, but it didn't, you know, and like mm-hmm. he's not like a he's not incompetent, you know, like everyone's yeah. like smart and trying to solve the problems. I, I really like that. Yeah, although uh so they did have the 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 um opportunity to have that kind of uh hijinks uh cause it cuz like they had the two kids who snuck off to smoke some weed yeah, yeah. and it's like okay if they they could have they could have done that and like ruined something inside the the station <laughs> with with their weed smoke um i mean that would have been dumb but uh you know <laughs> i mean I, but i i totally thought that's what was going to happen yeah. when, they, <laughs> when when the two kids go off to smoke weed i'm like oh god they're going to destroy the, they're going to yeah, somehow yeah. this is going to cause the station to blow up um, but yeah, but so Sarah, any other thoughts on, on that episode? Like, uh, anything strike you that you really liked or, or whatever? It's been a long time since I've seen it. I did watch a season three recap on YouTube mm. because I did not have enough time to rewatch season three, but I, it, you know, I watched season three when it came out, mm-hmm. but I absolutely remember being absolutely glued to the edge of my seat during that episode as, as, uh, yeah, it was, it was stunning. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you know, I mean, I, I'd say that um, when, you know, so I had I had sort of forgotten my overall opinion of season three. And so, like, I didn't really remember, like, how amazing uh, this part of episode one was. I will say, like, that the first half of the episode was felt like kind of slow to me. And then when it finally kicks into gear, it's like it's it just like pedal to the metal and it doesn't stop. And it's just like, you know, my, my body was tired afterward from, from <laughs> the anxiety of, of watching that. Um but I, I really loved how like it's like, well, of course, they they try they try the conventional methods of, of, of trying to fix it. You know, they have their team that does it. And then I think I think one of them or more of them gets killed by by, you know, whatever space dangers. Um, and uh, and then, you know, then Danny Stevens has to go do it because it's like he's an astronaut at this point And like Ed Baldwin was going to do it, but then he broke his leg or something, um, you know, and uh, and it was all really well done. And it was like, you know. Um, there was like this, uh, this long ass shaft that they would have had to, they had to climb up and it's like, well, there was no way that, um, Danny could have saved them by climbing up there with, with, with the three, with him. And then there was, uh, 
who was it? It was was it uh, yes, Danny's and wife, the wife and girlfriend. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so there are two spouses, um, and there was there was no way to get them all up the ladder, and so like Danny had to do it by himself. And then it was like, well, he's an astronaut. I guess he better go fix it. Um, and they were there on the on the station to, to for for Danny to get married, um, and uh, and so it was like the first wedding in space or whatever, and it was like the debut of the of the of the space hotel and all that. So, um, uh, you know. Uh, it was it was just really yeah. really well done that, that although, you know there's a good reason he was there. <laughs> yeah, although there was one thing, <laughs> yeah, that he was getting married again. That's a yeah. good reason to be there. Um, the, the one thing I didn't like about that is that there's a, I mean, it's a it's a minor thing, but yeah. there's a part where Danny they're they're contemplating climbing up the the ladder in the in the shaft, and and Danny says, you know, uh, no, we're at two G's. That would be like climbing up a ladder with somebody on your back. And mm-hmm. he's talking to Ed Baldwin. I'm like, dude, you do not need to explain to Ed Baldwin what <laughs> yeah. two Gs are. Yeah, and I know yeah, it's yeah. I know it's for the benefit of the audience, but yeah. I'm like, you know, come on, that was a little artificial. But yeah, I, I did yeah, really sure. like how how when Danny goes because because what happens? Yeah, is that the 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 guys working on the station send somebody out and and they get knocked off by a cable that's swinging around, and then Danny shuts off the um the thruster and then you see the can you know you think he's one you know mm-hmm. and then you see the cable kind of coming up behind over his shoulder and and so then you think he's dead but then it turns out he's been knocked off the station but he's still floating mm-hmm. there on his you know uh, tether yeah so i thought just the way those those various twists and turns of that really really worked and just made for a perfect ending for that episode mm-hmm. um, yeah for sure yeah. But so then the sort of the overall kind of story for this season, season three, is that there's this three-way race to Mars between NASA, the Russians, and this new, this private uh, space company called Helios, which is uh, led by a new character, Dev Ayesa. So, uh, so Sarah, what'd you think of Dev Ayesa? I absolutely love this character. And, and mm. here's the thing, like, it's, it's such, it's one of those examples of why this is such a good show because they had so many options in in terms of let's explore the tech bro right hmm. so many options and they could have gone the Silicon Valley method they could have you know made it sort of this ridiculous character they could have made it an obviously evil character and the fact that they made it a minority character who has a genuinely fascinating both a, a backstory and a genuinely fascinating character I mean he is just sort of he exudes confidence and peace and <laughs> wisdom in this really scary way. So there are scary aspects to the character for sure. And you're kind of wondering all the time, is he evil or is he good? <laughs> but at the same time, that's not, you know, treated as a gotcha or a, you know, something that they're ever going to show us, right? Like a card that they're keeping in their back pocket. And the result is obviously that this feels like a much more normal, you know, much more realistic character. And because that's kind of how people are, you know, we, mm-hmm. most of us aren't good or evil. They're a mix. And this guy, you know, is thoroughly fascinating. I love it. Every time he has a scene. Yeah. How about John? What'd you think of Dev Vayasa? Yeah, no, I mean, I love the character as well. Uh, I mean, it, they very easily could have like gone for like an Elon Musk type, uh, a figure instead. Um, and so, um, I really appreciated uh, as well like, what they did with him. Um, and like, you know, that also shows, uh, this, this like completely different kind of, uh, business. Cause like in, in their, in his company, it's like they don't have offices. They're all just like in one communal working space. Like even he doesn't have an office. He's just down there with the workers and, 
Um, everything is sort of communal, like they, everybody has an equal vote. And, um, so it's not like they have the, the board of directors ruling everything. It's like the, 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 the workers are all voting on everything. Um, and at some point they, it's like they, uh, when they, when they win like a prize for, uh, or, or there's a, there's like a prize at stake. And, and if they win the prize, um, he says that he's going to share it with all the, all the workers instead of like just taking it for him and or the company. Um, you know, so it's like, uh, I really liked that they showed that aspect of it as well. Yeah. I mean, I really liked how, I mean, at least my read on him was you start out and you think he's just this like good inspirational figure. Mm. And then when he's like, no, we got to get to Mars first, no matter yeah. the cost, then you think, oh, okay, actually, he's shown his true colors and he's mm-hmm. actually, you know, a, a villain. And then like, you sort of, it sort of settles on like, he's this complicated person whose ambition can express yeah. itself in both constructive and destructive ways. And you never mm-hmm. kind of know exactly, um, you know, he's, and he's sort of unpredictable, but like, but he has this, he's, he's just like mesmerizing the performance. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I really liked that. How, uh, yeah. How, how it keeps you kind of guessing, uh, guessing with him. Um, um, see so Raphael, anything you want to add about dev or uh, Helios or any of that stuff? Absolutely. I, I thought season three did have a lot of sensational aspects. And at the forefront of that is Dev. He's a great character and played really well by Eddie Kathigi. Um, I love the three-way space race aspect to Mars. It definitely, you know, evoked shades to me of 2010. You know, mm. I love that movie growing up, the Russians and the Americans both trying to get to Europa, you know, but like competing missions. And, um, yeah, and I also five. thought, like, you know, Jodie Balfour's character, Ellen, her character arc this season is pretty fantastic. So, sorry, I drifted off topic there. But yeah, Dev <laughs> is great, and I, I think he's definitely one of the strong points of the whole season and going forward. Mm-hmm. Uh, t- John, were you saying something there? Oh, I was just joking that uh, the, the race to Europa will be season five of this show, you know. Yeah, well, ho- hopefully. I mean, like, <laughs> yeah. you know, last time we talked, we said that the show would probably be renewed for season five you know, sometime yeah. during season four and it has not been renewed yet. So oh. I'm still, um, you know, optimistic that it will be, I, I, I don't know. I saw some stuff, maybe the strike had kind of like oh, pushed yeah. stuff back and, you know, so they weren't, they weren't on the same schedule mm-hmm. as with previous yeah. seasons or whatever, but I don't know. Uh, Raphael, what do you think about season five, uh, at this point? Well, I can tell you this much. Um, thanks to you in part, I was able to attend that season four finale screening here in LA. And and that was fantastic. And they did talk about future seasons a bit. Mm. And they definitely have uh, full confidence that they're going to see it through. Mm. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I don't think they've gotten the official um, word yet, but they're definitely moving forward. I mean, I think they're pretty confident and they talked about, you know, some of the stuff that's going to be a challenge going forward. Mm. Do we need to be careful that we don't uh, go too hard on our criticisms, uh, so that uh, you know, because it's still in the air? Like, I don't want to. I don't want to give anybody an excuse yeah. to not renew if it. There's any uh, Apple TV Plus executives <laughs> listening? Just shut your ears to any, <laughs> any criticism we might have. Uh, no, but I'll, like, yeah, I'm desperate for more of this show. I mean, it's mm. one of the best science fiction shows easily that's ever been made. Oh, absolutely. All, at least all my criticisms are pretty minor. Mm. Um, I mean, you know. I feel sometimes we have to try and critique something because otherwise the show is just pretty spectacular. And if anything, it's just the growing pains of this nature, the nature of the show, you know, that it's going to cover so many decades and Mm. characters are going to get kind of phased in and out, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, 
I don't, I don't is, is it okay to jump in with a specific uh, season three overall criticisms or yeah, I do that. Uh, so, I mean, my main problems with season three are both Steven's brothers. Um, you, know, <laughs> you, the, you took the words away, John. So I, I yeah. had this all set up. You kind of, like, <laughs> I was going to say, you can, um, you know, you can sum up my criticisms about season three in two words, Gordo's kids. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I think that's, I think that's honestly pretty universal. Like season yeah. three was the first season that people had a critique of. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, um, so Danny, uh, just going off the rails and being obsessed with Karen and doing, making all kinds of terrible decisions is one thing. It's like, I could have, you know, it's like that's, that was like kind of frustrating for obvious reasons, but like the real thing that like was really bugging me was, um, what's the other brother's name? Jimmy. Jimmy. Jimmy Stevens, like him becoming like this conspiracy theory nut, like, it was really upsetting to watch, although it was also upsetting at how like actually believable it was that people would be doing that. <laughs> Cause it's like, there's this group that like, doesn't believe um, that, yeah. uh, that, that, that the rescue <laughs> happened on, on the moon um, that, that, uh, that the Stevens parents did um, at the end of season yeah. two. Um, it's like, they don't believe that <laughs> happened. And eventually they go and they steal like this awesome statue that NASA made of, of the two of them in the, like, you know, the duct tape space, a duct tape spacesuit they had to you know jury rig um and it's like the fact that even the son of those people fell into it it was just like it was kind of like just too upsetting that it was feasible that might well, have actually happened in real life you can know? anyone just explain i mean i was i was pretty uh disengaged in that storyline yeah. so maybe i just wasn't paying attention but like i was always sort of confused about the conspiracy theorists like what yeah. did they ag- exactly believe and what were they trying to accomplish like yeah does anyone feel like, like they have a, a grip on on that yeah um i mean i think they thought that nasa was just lying to the people about all kinds of stuff and like I no mean, I, I, I get that i get yeah. that but what like what stuff like what do right. they think actually happens right yeah uh, yeah, I guess I don't know that part now. And and why were like what did they expect to accomplish with blowing up NAS mm-hmm. the build? Like, did they have some? Well, I, uh, I mean, you know, every group that operates that way is sort of directionless. That's sort of the point. The whole, mm-hmm. you know, like n- people. Even what happened on uh, on 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 the sixth, right? You have a group of people mm-hmm. who think, oh, this is totally going to work out for us because. Clearly, Trump has been, you know, um, wronged, and therefore it doesn't matter if what we're doing is massively illegal because because we believe that that he's been wronged, he will clearly be reinstated and he will clearly pardon us. And so you mm-hmm. have all of these leaps of logic, the, which is the point, right? People who do this kind of thing are struggle with logic, and so I think that you know, for the most part, it it was enough that they just had this fringe group that believed that this didn't happen. Just like we mm. have this fringe group that believes that the moon landing didn't happen. Just like we have yeah. flat earthers, despite overwhelming, <laughs> you know, <laughs> evidence to the contrary. So I, I think that that's all that they kind of needed to have. But I will say I was mostly annoyed by the way that they handled a lot of those plot lines and kind of bored mm. by mm-hmm. those scenes. Yeah, I, I guess my, my personal feeling is that it's not enough of a justification in fiction mm-hmm. to say this is something that really happens, you know? Like yeah, it, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it has, like, yeah, all sorts of like things that are stupid and boring happen in real sure. life and there are crazy people and stuff. But like in fiction, it needs to be right. compelling to right. watch. 
And I just didn't find that storyline to be compelling. I was always kind of like, oh, whenever we yeah, got back right. to that. Because, yeah. you know, I know one thing about in the season three finale, their, part of their plan was to uh, take over the screens and the broadcast at NASA and send out a manifesto. But uh-huh. then Karen finds the bomb first, and so they're not able to. But for mm-hmm. the life of me, I can't remember what the manifesto was. Right. <laughs> I'm thinking, I can only assume they just didn't want so much money and resources being pumped mm-hmm. into the space program. I mean, that's something that I, I don't know. Yeah, that didn't seem to be what they were talking about, though. But um, you mean uh, like in, in terms of like whenever they were talking to Jimmy, but um, that but that's actually what I thought would have been a, a better use of like if if the writers just wanted to have this sort of anti NASA uh, conspiracy group that was going to you know uh, try to blow up NASA and you know succe- successfully does uh, have like a big explosion at, at uh, JSC. Um, you know, they could have, uh, they could have just, uh, like maybe not tapped into Jimmy Stevens, but they could have just had like the, that helium three, uh, yeah. protest, uh, groups, uh, you know, something happened with those helium three pro- protest groups because it's like, that's a legitimate grievance. Like, I mean, I mean, it's like, it's like holding back progress, right? To, to like complain about that. But like, you know, a lot of people like lost their jobs and stuff because, because of that. And it's like, there's all this money being put into space when, when there's a lot of people who are suffering on earth. And it's like, you know, you can have the argument in, you know, forever because it's like, well, all that money we're spending on that, we could be using that to spend on money here, uh, on people here. But then it's like, well, but we are using that to help people here. It's just that it's like, you know, uh, it's complicated, but, um, you know, the people who lost their jobs because of Helium 3, it's like you could see how, you know, that could have led to them having the same kind of idea. It's like, oh, we got to take down NASA uh, because uh, they're ruining everything. Right, um, right. Yeah. yeah. And narratively, it seemed to serve the same function to me as the Jake Busey character in Contact. I mean, you remember how frustrating it was to watch him, <laughs> you know, basically sabotage Jodie Foster's efforts and all their efforts. But, but yeah, I don't feel like they came up with necessarily the right reason because it wasn't, you know, in that movie, Mm-hmm. It was religion versus science, but this wasn't completely clear to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I'm 100% with John, like the the whole thing about, you know, all these people have been put out of work and they're like, you know, angry and frustrated, maybe like they lost their health care and they've had mm-hmm. personal tragedies and stuff like something like that seems to me would have been way more mm-hmm. compelling than, than this sort of vague, like conspiracy stuff. Um. So, yeah, so it sounds like we're just all in agreement that the Jimmy mm-hmm. Stevens thing yeah. just kind of fell flat for all of us, mm-hmm. right? Also, his hair. Like, what the hell was up with his hair the entire time? (laughs) It was just, like, really upsetting. (laughs) Yeah. Sorry, Sarah, were you Uh, saying saying something? I, yeah, I I had uh, some problems with how they handled Danny. Mm -hmm. um, Yeah, believe me, we're getting getting to that. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Should I wait? (laughs) No, 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 go ahead. Um, I think that, you know, I think, first of all, like, I totally understand why Danny's obsessed with Karen. <laughs> he is he and Karen are are completely trauma bonded to each other, okay? Mm-hmm. Because when Shane died, both, you know, for Karen, Danny was there while Ed was absent. And I'm not saying that Danny was there romantically cuz he was a child, but it was always the three of them because you know, um, Tracy was absent. So for Danny, Karen was there and he probably was, you know, a kid who had a crush on this very beautiful woman, um, while his mother was absent. And so the three of them were, they show the three of them together a lot in like season two. 
you know, and then Danny goes and, you know, after losing his best friend, he loses his parents in a spectacularly public fashion that, uh, you know, forces him to sort of see them as heroes, whether or not he wants to do that, despite the fact that for very understandable reasons, they weren't there for a lot of his childhood. And Karen was, Karen was there for him. And then, you know, at the end of season three, Karen dies and, I think that Danny just started to lose it. And the thing that bothers me about the way that, that they handled his character, and he ultimately becomes, I think, the most tragic character in For All Mankind because uh, nobody took care of this kid. Nobody, and I, I think that because this this by, by this time, this is set in the 90s, nobody really pulled him aside and got that what he needed was nurturing and gentle parenting and tough love and things like that. And the way that Ed behaved toward him at this stage in his life, he should fucking know better. And so exiling him at the, at the very end made zero sense, even on a, on a policy uh, level, because you know, by this time in history, surely there, you know, this this universe's idea of the UN announcing that solitary confinement is a form of torture. Let's take the troubled kid, this troubled astronaut, and give him the very worst possible thing that we could give him to make that way worse, which is you know the psychological torture of solitary confinement. Mm. And I had really hoped at the end of season three that they would redeem that choice somehow and realize that Ed would have a character growth moment where he realized that he failed in fathering Danny and understanding what Danny needed. But instead, you know, the opposite happened and the absolute worst outcome of that decision happened. Yeah, and I don't even have a huge problem with the idea that Danny kind of unravels psychologically over the course Mm. of the season. I just thought that the volume was turned up way too high on that idea. And so, like, it got to the point where I, like, it was, it kept making me think of um, Robert De Niro in Cape Fear. You know, like, I expected him to, like, tattoo his knuckles and stuff like (laughs) that. Yeah. And, like, like, right at the beginning, um, you know, he played, like, at his wedding, he dances to the song that he danced with Karen before they... Um, hooked up the first time or i guess the, the only time mm-hmm. and then she's like later she confronts him and she's like why did yeah. you pick that song and he says oh actually you know my wife picked that song like she's always liked that song and then he kind of walks out and i thought that was a good approach to that where it's kind of like ambiguous and creepy mm-hmm. and you're not sure and like what's going on but then he comes back in and he's like okay I, I just made that up actually i'm totally <laughs> psycho you know yeah and, <laughs> and i'm like okay this is like jumping the shark now here yeah. you know but if they had kept it with that initial kind of approach mm-hmm. of, of the sort of just like creepy but you're kind of keeps you guessing i feel like that would have been a way better approach to that um that scenario yeah. you know it's funny that you said that uh, the volume was turned up too high on his on his on this arc of his because it sort of culminates when uh, he's in the control station, uh, supposed to be monitoring uh, the pressure of this drill that they're doing to to like drill for ice or to you know try to find water, and um, and the the team is out there in the field on Mars, and and like he's on the radio, and he literally turns the radio all the way down so that. Uh, and just starts ignoring them when they're like, when they're having a crisis. Um, and I was like, yeah, I don't know. I mean, that was, that was the most frustrating. I mean, cause that's obviously the peak of his malfeasance, but I mean, it's just like, that was, that was hard to believe really that, um, he could have gotten that far gone that he would have been just like, fuck all those people. I don't care if they're going to die. I mean, it was somewhat, you know, I guess directly aimed at Ed because Ed was out there, but, um, 
just the fact that he would have been so callous to be uh, like to have been an astronaut for all this time and to, to grown up grow grow uh, to have grown up in the astronaut program to to have been so callous toward all of these people who are out there you know braving the new frontier like you know like astronauts do um that just seemed like yeah. a bit much yeah well that's that's the thing is that there's so many flawed characters in this show mm-hmm. but i always liked them and i was always yeah. interested in them Whereas with with Jimmy and Danny, like I didn't like it got to the point where I didn't like them and I wasn't interested in them. And so Mm -hmm. that's that's really the issue. Speaking of Jimmy real quick, I did manage to find that, yeah, the whole thing about the conspiracy theorists was they just thought NASA was lying about Gordy, Gordo and Tracy's death, Mm -hmm. uh, that it was propaganda. But uh, what do they think? What like, do they think actually happened? Like, what's their? I don't think version? it's clear. But they're they're really just that universe's version of nine eleven truthers. I think that mm-hmm. was the idea, but it doesn't really. I don't know. Yeah, it doesn't quite work. Yeah, yeah it's not developed enough to 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 hold any kind of water. Right. But yeah. on that note, did you know that in the For All Mankind universe, there was a film based on Gordo and Tracy's sacrifice? Yeah. I wish yeah, they yeah. told <laughs> us who had played the characters. No, they did. Right. Yeah. Oh, did they? Yeah, it was um oh god, it was um what's the guy's name? Um who was married to Meg Ryan. Um Oh, Dennis Quaid. Dennis Quaid, right? Wasn't it? I don't remember. I don't remember who they said, but I know they talked about the movie because Danny gets mad at the one guy uh for quoting it. I'm pretty sure I forget it. In one of those opening in that opening montage thing, I think mm, Oh, yeah, right. I think it it shows like the premiere or something. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I think I know I think I know what you mean, yeah. Um, oh, actually, you know what? Speaking of uh, montages, I, I will say that one thing that has sort of uh, um, jumped into my mind a couple times when watching this show is like, okay, well, here's the here's the the premiere of this season, and here's our um, our traditional montage of Margot Madison getting ready for work. <laughs> like, why why are there so many scenes of her getting dressed in her office? Like, it's like call back to season one, man. I, I know, but part. I mean, it's like, but it's like season one. Okay. Like, okay. Hey, we don't did that change one, but horses they- midstream, John. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, it right, shows yeah, but- who she is as a character. She, she's never had much of a personal yeah. life other than this, you know, sad Russian guy. And so yeah, yeah. it's a hundred percent consistent, you know, to me with the character then. And, and it's a nice way to, to tie, you know, the, the storylines together and make them seem more cohesive is mm-hmm. to have little character moments like that you sure. know, between that and her Tootsie rolls. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. I just felt like every one of them went on too long. Um, but you know, I don't know. I mean, I was so invested though in her relationship, the oh, sure. relationship between Margo yeah. and Sergey. I just loved <laughs> yeah. everything about yeah. it. I wanted them to be together so yeah. much. Yeah. You know, and, and it got to the point where like, you know, I forget it was episode eight or nine or something of, of season four. I was like, okay, I got to just watch one more episode because I just got to see them get together, you know. <laughs> and then I was uh, cruelly <laughs> thwarted. Uh, thwarted. Yeah, exactly. So sad. Um, I mean, it's a drama, right? Like, that's not They're not going to get together. Come on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That wouldn't um, be but, dramatic. <laughs> but so season four, which overall, I, I basically liked everything about it, um, mm-hmm. is is basically there's this... um asteroid uh that's full of some valuable mm-hmm. it's iridium right some valuable mineral yeah. that has it has like 20 trillion dollars worth of iridium in it or something and so everybody's scrambling to um to get hold of this asteroid and bring it back to to earth so they can mine it but then the the colony on mars there's this faction which is like led by dev and um ed who is kind of like oh actually if we could kind of like hijack this mm-hmm. um this asteroid and bring it into mars orbit then they would have to keep 
you know, keep the the space, mm-hmm. you know, space exploration going because there'd be just so much value that they would they would need to keep supporting the infrastructure and everything. So it was like this ultimate like heist movie mm-hmm. kind of thing. Um, so it sounds like I don't know. It sounds like maybe I like season four more than other people, or or do, does anyone think that they like no, season I, four I, as much I, as I did? I loved it. Okay. I thought mm-hmm. it was great. It's I think it's just you know it is a little jarring when. Uh, a lot, a lot is asked of the viewers in this show, and I actually really like that. I just, it also causes me to to be concerned <laughs> that we're not going to get the seven seasons that we deserve. But uh, I think that you know they they brought in a whole lot of new characters uh, for this season, and we are also seeing all of the original characters start to you know get very old and die off. And I think that you know the new characters are completely engaging and so it works, but a lot of people don't watch television that way. And so it's, uh, it's asking a lot of the audience and I'm, you know, hopeful that we can be good audience members enough to deserve more seasons of this. Mm -hmm. Cause I don't have a problem with it. I love it, but it's one of those things where it's like, you know, same thing happened with that Ridley Scott series. That was so I'm, I'm, I'm the wolves. one. Yes. Oh. oh God, it's so esoteric. I never, I never actually saw it. I heard it was good. Uh, something about wolves, uh, among the wolves, yeah. or something like that. Yeah. Um, Raised by wolves. Anyway. Oh yeah, right. Raised by wolves. Oh, that's what it was. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Oh, but you, oh, go sorry. Go ahead. Well, let, let me just mention. So, so the new characters that we've got in season four, some of the big ones are Miles Dale, who is a uh, he's worked on oil drilling platforms. And agrees to go to Mars because he thinks it's going to be a good uh, economic opportunity for him to support his family. Uh, and then there's Samantha, who's like another person in a sort of similar kind of job uh, on Mars. And then there's Arena, who's kind of like some sort of high-ranking KGB official who becomes head of the Soviet space program. And then Eli, who's the new uh, NASA administrator who comes mm-hmm. in because uh, Margot uh, uh, hmm. defected. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, so, um, but John, were you going to say something or do you want to pick up on yeah, those yeah. characters or, uh, well, first of all, I was going to say, uh, just before we fully transition into season four, like there's a lot of dope space stuff that happens in season three, like, especially toward the end of the season. So I don't want to like gloss over all that. I mean, like, I mean, we don't have to t- talk about it in detail, but just to say like, there is so much like cool stuff that happens with the, with the end of the, um, you know, the space race and everything to get to Mars, uh, including like a, a daring rescue of, of a failed ship and a surprise, surprise that happens, <laughs> um, uh, discovery on the surface of Mars that was, uh, totally unexpected. Um, um, but, um, well, you know, like the so, part yeah. where the part where, um, they have to put Kelly on top of a oh, yeah. launch oh, yeah, vehicle and have yeah, her yeah, sort yeah. of like jet to, um, to get back into orbit. Yeah. And because she got, is. because she got pregnant, uh, and, and they, they needed to get her off of the planet and back into orbit in order to, um, keep it so that she doesn't die during childbirth and probably that also the child doesn't die. But, um, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so that that's just dope. another thing, another cool yeah. science fiction scene that was still, yeah. you know, like, yeah. ob- like, like, you know, you'd think it would be obvious, but it was sort of still fresh and surprising. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, 
but then and uh but then into season four like i, I was just gonna joke with uh, uh with the asteroid and orbit and everything it was like i kind of i was like glad that it didn't turn out that they didn't accidentally slingshot it towards earth and like have it be plummeting <laughs> yeah. towards earth where it was like became like a, a a deep impact situation and i was like oh okay well then miles is gonna have to lead the team to land on the on the <laughs> asteroid and then blow it up with a nuke because that's what you do right like that's i think that's just science everyone agrees um that if that's what's happening you should do that um i was surprised <laughs> that never even came up as a line of dialogue because yeah. i just rewatched uh, don't look up recently and my first oh, yeah. thought was like oh my god why would they intentionally aim the asteroid towards earth yeah or, you know the comet you know <laughs> yeah um Maybe yeah, there no, is. I mean, maybe is there is no uh, Armageddon in in this. Uh, yeah, timeline. right, right. Yeah, this timeline. Yeah, there was no Armageddon. Yeah, um, but um, but you know, I I uh, you know, season four I felt like was a little slow for me to get started, and then I was and I was like I was starting to get pretty grumpy about it to be honest. Um, a couple episodes in, and then um, I, I think about episode five is when it started to turn around for me, and I, I started got more invested in it. I think it was partially because of like what Sarah was talking about with requiring the work from the viewer and and like you know this big transition of characters and such. Um, and I just wasn't as I, I didn't I didn't vibe with them as immediately as I did with some of the others, and maybe I was also missing the other ones. Uh, I was also like missing old Ed Baldwin because new Ed Baldwin was terrible. I hated him. Um, I mean, not not the character, but it just like you know. I mean, he becomes like a really annoying person um, and does all <laughs> kinds of questionable, annoying things. Um, also, I, I I didn't feel like they did a very good job of his um his old man makeup and like it's like his beard and everything. It's like oh, just what, what are you doing, Ed Baldwin? Come on, like he's a hero. Can we treat him better than this? Like get the man a, a, a razor. Um, well, well, I I just watched a panel and he said that for that makeup he had to get up at one a.m. for them to start oh, putting man. the makeup on and then like so then I don't know it was like six hours or some something. That's of makeup. crazy. And it was not thir- worth 13, it. Thirteen thirteen hours of shooting after that. So. Okay. So yeah, funny well, enough. I appreciate his service, but <laughs> go ahead, Rafael. Oh yeah, I was just gonna say yeah. During the Q and A at the uh, screening in here in LA, uh, he did go on at length about that, <laughs> and it kind of uh, it was funny too because. At one point, um, you know, after he's just gone on about how hard it was to go through, he's like, oh, my God, I just realized I'm going to have to do it all again <laughs> next season. And, yeah. of course, there's a moment where I think the producers were kind of like, you just told everyone you're definitely going to be back <laughs> for the whole season. But <laughs> I, I saw interviews, though, with um, uh, Ben Nadevian's mm-hmm. Matt Walpert, or one mm-hmm. or the other, I forget, where they, they basically acknowledged that he's going to be. I mean, it would be crazy not yeah. to have him back for season right. five. Yeah. Um, They've basically acknowledged that they're in the transitional phase of mm-hmm. the show because there's a lot of yeah. uh, baton passing, like obviously, yeah, yeah. you know, Margot yeah. to Aleda, you know, mm-hmm. it, it, interestingly enough, one of the only characters I think that'll be around possibly for the whole show, if I'm betting, it's mm-hmm. uh, it's Chris Marshall's character. Um, Daniel Poole. Da- Danny, yeah. The oh, fact okay. that there's been two Dannys on the show sometimes yeah. trips me up. But um and the yeah, most and interesting two, thing, two is, Sams as well. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, what's kind of cool is she revealed during the Q and A, Chris Marshall did that her character was only supposed to be in the first few episodes mm. of the show. Oh and, wow! Yeah, she was never meant to be a main character mm-hmm. across separate seasons, but it just worked so well. It was one of the yeah. things that they incorporated as they went. Yeah, and I think at this point she's the only character that's going to mm. be in all seven seasons. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, I love I, when know, that happens, and, and it's like it's like the only it, TV is the only medium in which that can happen. Really, it seems like where it's like somebody can come in and be in a, be doing a character in, in 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 the role, and then it's like they just kill it so much that they were like, "We got to keep this character around," <laughs> you know. <laughs> well, I, I looked at her Wikipedia page, and she was she's been in a shockingly small number of roles mm-hmm. prior to this. Like you would, because she's so good in this, you would think yeah. she's a you know like a really experienced actor, but she's not. You know, so yeah, she yeah. just kind of came in for you know she had this three episode mm-hmm. contract, and they just liked her so much that they just kept you know they they just gave her a much bigger role. Um, so yeah, yeah, that was that was really she kept waiting to be written off, and it never happened. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and she is now the youngest of the characters mm. that's been in the whole show mm. the whole time. So mm-hmm. if anyone's got a shot, and I think if you do the math, if she's only in her fifties now. So by the end of the show, she'll be in her seventies or eighties. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, uh, Jimmy Stevens is still alive, though, right? Like he he's still around. Uh, so he, yeah, he's technically he's in, the youngest. Chris, isn't he in prison? Probably. He is in, he is in prison. I, I guess <laughs> yeah. I meant uh, youngest character that's a character that we actually not. see in every season. <laughs> that we actually yeah, want yeah, to see yeah. again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I was just going to say uh, on the old age makeup. Uh, so, like, you know, when I was watching it, I, I had that thought that it was like, oh, this is like disappointing. And I, and I was frustrated with it. But uh, it was also then underlined because, like, after this, like, uh, Christy and I had watched uh, True Detective season three, which we had missed. And the old age makeup in that is incredible. It's so good. And it just made the Ed Baldwin makeup look even worse. Um, and so uh, <laughs> it was just like really disappointing. Uh, it makes me think of like Inception, which is one of my favorite movies. And it's like everything except for that old age makeup they have on on the, <laughs> on, on uh, Saito. Um, I think that's his name. Um, but, uh, you know, it's like it's, it's just the worst. And it's like that kind of stuff just jumps out at me. And it's like, ugh. <laughs> I want to get Sarah back in here. Sarah, any other yeah. thoughts about season four that you want to want to mention? I loved the Margot and Aleda mm. uh, storyline in this mm. season because it was beautiful. Like, you know, I, I think that this show is really good for having really satisfying character resolutions. And I love that they don't shy away from those things because for a while it sort of became, you know, the, the, the fashion to not have those in favor of some kind of weird realism that nobody wants from television. <laughs> we want to see our characters who love each other come together and, you know, grapple it out a little bit. And I think that the fact that, you know, just the the scene where Aleda sees her in her hotel room for the first time and sees and realizes that she's alive and her impulse is to mm-hmm. just hug her. And, you know, like the fact that Aleda, you know, Margot was her you know, mother figure and her mentor all in one. And it was a big deal for Aleda to lose her or to think that she had lost her. And yet at the same time, because of that, they had to kind of grapple it out a little bit because, you know, Aleda had some understandable anger toward her because she didn't understand the full story. And, and, you know, Mm. she has this sort of mini arc of understanding. Um, And I think it, it was really brilliant that Margot tied it to, um, the Operation Paperclip subplot in the first season and her sort of rigidity at that time in being able to forgive her mentor. Um, Mm. But, you know, coming to understand that we end up in situations where we make mistakes that are incredibly complicated and there's no easy out. There's no correct moral solution. And it cost her so much and then to sort of, you know, in the end, because she loses Sergei, in this horrible and wasteful way, um, 
you know, he basically just gets punished for talking to her. Um, although maybe, maybe they knew that he was advising her to, you know, have them skip out together. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But, <laughs> you know, the fact that she came in in the end and because she had lost everything she cares about at this point and had no more fucks to give, <laughs> that's a very dangerous person. And so in the end, there's this triumphant, you know, scene where she's able to kind of help the 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 efforts that are going on over over there, you know, to to have Mars be its own uh victor. And it was just mm. really, really beautifully done. But it's centered around that relationship between Margot and Aleda. Yeah, I, I really liked the way that Margot's storyline developed because even going back to I forget when it happened, season one or two, where like basically the first thing she does that compromises herself is she just wants to save the life of these save the lives of these Russian astronauts, mm-hmm. which is this totally yeah. understandable uh, motivation. But then it's like once you have a secret like that that can be used as leverage against mm-hmm. you, then you just find yourself getting drawn in deeper and deeper and deeper. And you know, and it was, but it was never like melodramatic to mm-hmm. to me it was always like you felt like i can definitely understand how someone could get themselves into this situation you know yeah. only having good motivations mm-hmm. uh, well, so i have a, i have a question uh because this this came up from season from watching season four so at some point in the previous panel you had mentioned that people had kind of said that oh i could see this as being kind of a unofficial prequel to uh the expanse and uh i hadn't really seen that because i was like huh well okay i mean i guess any kind of any kind of space show like this could could have led Drives to that but then crazy it's like, well but I, I, ne- I never understood it until like now with season four it's like oh well once we saw like the whole miles subplot or the whole miles plot with the the like the workers on mars and then there was like this like rebellion against uh you you know uh them being a you know sort of uh mistreated as as grunts you know and and like not like people they're just like they're just like workers to do the work and uh um you know it's like oh okay now now i see i see the expanse vibes there but it like i didn't see it until then it, it felt much more like a prequel to star trek to me prior to that um and i still yeah. kind of feel like it's more of that to me but um you know well, uh, yeah Ron, i see always... it in the, in the groups all the time and it, yeah. it drives me up the wall because <laughs> the people in the expanse groups are like obsessed with the idea and finally it got to to the point where we started creating memes making fun of it because mm. you know where we'd start saying well you know clearly um battlestar galactica is an expanse prequel and and and, <laughs> and, and you know clearly Spaceballs is an expanse and it was like this whole ongoing <laughs> joke that lasted us for several weeks um but you know it was because people were we're kind of going a little bit too nuts on it because yes, like even in the beginning of season four, the moment that they show that this guy has to pay for his own toothbrush and toothpaste out of the, you know, what he's making to be on Mars uh, and being a grunt on Mars, you know, because in the in the in the first and, and second season of For All Mankind, you have this idea of the astronaut as the hero that we're all familiar with, where you have to be this extraordinary person in order to be there. And then in season three, it's like, okay, it becomes this capitalist thing where you have to be very wealthy to be there, to just be there in, at this hotel. And then in season four, they're like, oh, we now have lower classes for the first time in space. And so it was, it was very cool to watch them develop that idea. But I think that those themes are always in Star Trek for the lack thereof, right? And so they have to delve through that stuff and address the elephant in the room of capitalism and class systems before they can get to that Star Trek ideal. Well, I mean, one of the th- reasons I really liked season four, I mean, 
you know, like like John saying, he had mixed feelings about it because of this and that. But but I think the reason I liked it so much is just because it just showed these science fiction things that I grew up reading about, like asteroid mining and mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. Martian col- like sort of realistic Martian colonies, not like total recall like Martian <laughs> colonies, you know. And so like you you just don't really see so so much in in film and TV, you know, like the the more grounded kind of kind of things like that. And so like you know. I, I can forgive a lot. I think to, that someone's just bringing that vision uh, to the screen in such a you know such a well developed way. Um, and so, like, so so people are like, oh, it's just like the the expanse. Like, well, no, it's like this whole tradition of science fiction that had mm-hmm, all these mm-hmm, things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you know, if you, maybe if you only watched, you know, if you or if you primarily watch movies and TV, th- th- that's your like closest reference point. Mm-hmm. But they're both drawing like on this they- really long tradition. <laughs> Yeah, it's like when they all said there there was a while there where they all said that that Star Trek, new Star Trek, was stealing from Mass Effect, and it's like <laughs> you realize that Mass Effect literally stole from all of existing science fiction. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> what do you think? <laughs> yeah, um, Raphael, any other uh, season four observations you wanted to mention? Um, overall, I thought it was another really good season. Um, you know, it, it's, it's tough to say like, you know, the least great, <laughs> mm-hmm. but I would probably say like season four for me was the least great season so far. So it was interesting to hear you say. So you like season three better? A, a lot better. Yeah. Huh. I really? Mean, I, I think, you know, as I mentioned, I think season four was kind of the first, well, keep, because earlier you asked me what I thought about seasons three and four together. So it's a little more complicated than that. I think season four specifically is kind of where the cracks of the show started to show just a little bit. Um, You know, aspects like the handling of Ed Baldwin's character, uh, you know, and I thought there was some plot threads along the way that didn't really go anywhere or add up to something. I mean, like even like Ed Baldwin's kind of love interest in the first half of the season, which is kind of very weird. You know, um, that was that- just them showing that he felt bad that he was getting old. Let's be honest. He he didn't <laughs> love her as as a person. He loved her because, you know, and th- that's the thing. Like, I will say that I don't think it was necessarily handled super well. But I think that Ed's character development in season four does make sense in the f- in the in the sense that he had been a hero for decades. Right. And then all of a sudden he's an old man. And he's getting sort of cast aside from here to there. And that's a, that's a hard thing for, you know, powerful white men to, to handle and to accept with grace and dignity. We see it happen all the time with celebrities who, you know, as they get older, they get more and more weird. And then they start saying really embarrassing things in interviews, <laughs> you know, things like that. And they're like, you know, just, just, you'd be better if you just stop talking mm. and just let us remember your legacy. Um, and I think that we're seeing some of that with happened to Ed in, in season four. And uh, oh, for I sure. think that, yeah, I mean, I, I think it, it, it does make sense. I do think that some oh, of yeah, the no, execution of stroke. that sucked. <laughs> you know, yeah, I think broadly it totally worked and I see what they were doing because you essentially had to get from the beginning of the season to the end where he's siding with Dev and they're running their secret yeah. operation mm-hmm. to steal the asteroid. Yeah. Which, by the way, I think, you know, one thing the show always does such a spectacular job of is ramping up towards the end. You know, the finale in the last mm-hmm. few episodes were great because it's always this fantastic race against time and here's the thing uh can i go into some thoughts about the season four finale dave yeah yeah sure so i pretty much assumed that they would succeed for me the drama and the tension wasn't in the result because for the show to really continue 
they had to secure the asteroid from Mars. Um, the drama and tension for me is seeing how it happened because it was such a game of cat and mouse. You know, the uh, they had to get the signal to the ship to to make the burn last five more minutes, but they were on to them. And so then there was like the workaround to around the workaround. And then finally, I loved how you know it came down to Margot and Aleda that their decision to allow Mars to prosper and keep the asteroid. But um, my only point about Ed was it was somewhere in the middle where I thought like they knew where he started and where he ended, but like when all of a sudden he's kind of displaced and then he's kind of just part of the, uh, the strike movement, it's how they needed him to get to where he was going to be. But I, I, they were losing me a little along the way, if that makes sense. It's interesting because I've always seen him as a pretty flawed character going oh, back sure, to season yeah. one. So this seems pretty consistent with, you know, he's now he's just like, like Sarah saying, he's like the old you know, he has like older person um, concerns that are how his character flaws are expressing themselves. But I mean, he's like, he's, I don't know, he's just such a like charming, you know, he's like a little boy, you know, it's like, <laughs> no matter what he does, you can't be that mad at him because he's like so Aww. adorable, you know. Um, well, that's just it. Because, you know, he's one of the three main leads of the whole series. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you don't want to see him fall off into... uh Total, like, you know, he's starting to go off the rails there a little. But by the end, he still is, you know, in his flawed way, heroic. Mm-hmm. And, you know, me- he had the he had the best moment of the season for me in a lot of ways. Um, it had a lot of great moments. But in the finale, when he and Danny are having their little conversation. And by the way, that whole thing was fantastic. When she knows it's Ed that's in the North Korean module. And so <laughs> their conversation starts off great. And uh, and she says, you know, Earth is our home, Ed. And uh, or maybe she says Mars isn't our home. I-, I can't remember, but he disagrees because for him, Mars is the future. It is his home. His family's there. And I was like, that really resonated just because that's the view they're going to need to go forward. I mean, that's kind of the underlying subtext well, of the whole. Well, thing. that's what I wanted to make because I read a review where it said, like, of course, you're rooting for like Danielle Poole to succeed and stop them from hijacking this <laughs> asteroid. And I'm like, no way. Like, no, everybody's rooting for them to, even though it's yeah. like, like Danielle's like by far and away the most like responsible, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. person. And then you've got like Dev and um, and Ed, the like mischievous boys, like, you know, <laughs> doing who knows what the fuck they're doing. But like, you're rooting for them because like, mm-hmm. I guess, because maybe just because I'm a science fiction fan and I want the bar, the, the space oh, program yeah. to continue. I don't you're know how it plays right. to other people. To people who aren't invested in the space pro- program as much, but no, I just, I just feel I like anyone watching to root for both sides. I think like, what I was think so that clever- that's the show is about like you're rooting mm-hmm. for both sides, mm-hmm. and that's why it's so interesting. Yeah, if there was any flaw to me in like in writing themselves into a corner a little bit, it's that you were kind of rooting for both sides, but more so, like you said, David, for Ed and the progress of Mars. And if anything, Danny was kind of the casualty of that because mm-hmm. Danny was stuck in the middle, and you were. I understand where the reviewer's coming from because you want to root for Danny and Chris Marshall, but at the same time, you're like, well, she better not stop him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, well, it's like she's the adult in the room, but this is a situation where you don't want the adults <laughs> to win. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like the crazy yeah. visionaries and mm-hmm. crackpots. You actually are the ones you want to succeed in this situation. <laughs> And, you know, it was a little unfortunate. I mean, I thought the finale was spectacular, but just from that perspective, because you kind of had Ed trying to do his thing. And, of course, on Earth, you had Margot and Aleda. And in a sense, Chris Marshall's character, Danny, was just stuck in the middle, like you said, being the adult, but having, like, the least agency in that moment. So that was, like, if, if there was anything unfortunate about the way that played out for me, it was just that. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, John, you've said really like glowing things about previous um, mm-hmm. season finales. Did you feel, mm-hmm. how did you feel about the season four finale? Uh, I mean, I think it, it did very well. Um, it, it, I don't think it stacks up to me in, in, in comparison to like the season one and two finales, which are just like so epic. Um, I, I thought it was really good. Um, by the end, but um, but yeah, it it, it disappointed me a little bit. Just come on, because how, of the I, it was pretty. Come on, standard. it's like you've got an asteroid, you've got I the know. fusion drives, you got the. <laughs> it just wasn't as cool e- as those other the ones. EVA. Man. The- it's. I mean, look if. Look, I mean, we're really nitpicking here because of the incredibly, incredibly high bar set by seasons one and two. Okay. Like, um, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying that it was bad in any way. I'm just saying it just, it didn't, it didn't stack up to me compared to those two. Um, but. Well, I wonder, um, having seen the season four finale on the big screen, I got to say that whole sequence mm-hmm. with Massey on, on the mm-hmm. ship, the asteroid, that was fantastic. Yeah. Like, that was really edgy. I mean, on some de- to some degree, it's probably just seeing it projected on a huge screen, but it really looked amazing and it was so tense. That was one of my favorite mm-hmm. sequences of the whole show. Like I thought, I thought the season four finale was a notch above the season three finale. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I thought it was spectacular. But uh, but speaking of nitpicking, I'll I'll mention my big problem with season mm. four, and I don't know, maybe you'll laugh at this, but um, but I'm, it makes me so angry. Like even thinking <laughs> back on it now, is like the like Al Gore. Um, oh yeah, you know, uh, claiming credit for discovering the asteroid <laughs> thing. Uh-huh. It just makes me so. Oh, it makes me so angry. Um, <laughs> So I don't know if I'm alone, but, but so basically if you don't, if you're younger than I am. Yeah. So, so basically like Al Gore back in like the nineties, I guess, uh, he, he made this totally factual comment where he said like, as a congressman, one of my, he, he was asked what, what his accomplishments is in Congress were. He says in, in Congress, I took the initiative on creating the internet, something like that, mm-hmm. which is a totally accurate statement about his role in Congress. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was like turned into this joke about like, oh, Al Gore claims he quote unquote invented the internet where the quotes mm-hmm. are around a word that he never <laughs> said, which is like one of my pet yeah. peeves. Um, but and it just like to me, it was like one of the earliest examples that kind of came mm-hmm. like that I experienced of what would later become called like clickbait journalism, where you have like some attention grabbing headline. Mm-hmm. that's just a complete lie. Yeah. And I'm just really afraid like it's going to be like... Um, Marie Antoinette saying, let them eat cake that Al Gore in a hundred years or 200 mm-hmm. years, or whatever, right, is only right, going to be known yeah. for this one thing that he never actually <laughs> said. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. It just, it drove me crazy yeah. that they would play into that. Uh, yeah. uh, and even like, even, even if it didn't drive me crazy for that reason, it's also like kind of a dumb fourth wall breaking joke. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I hate it also for that reason. <laughs> yeah. So that's fair. That was my big problem. With, yeah. That was my Funny biggest enough, complaint uh, about season four. <laughs> I, I did read that Ben Nadivi said, you know, yeah, Gore taking credit for that discovery was one of those moments in the writer's room. They instantly knew they had to do it. And no. they just felt, they just, they felt no. lucky that they had the clips of Gore and Letterman. No. Like <laughs> <laughs> no, they didn't. No. Whoever's idea that was yeah. should be put in a rocket and launched into outer space <laughs> and not in a good way. I mean, oh, in a bad way. But I, I also thought that they were actually kind of, it kind of felt like un, unfairly mean to Al Gore like, yeah. uh, and, as him being president, like the, the clips that we get of him him acting as president and like i mean i don't know i guess maybe the show's kind of positioning it as like okay well all politicians behave this way and and all they ever care about is getting reelected and stuff but I'm no like, i was like come some- on, al gore would have been better than that 
No, I was like, they must, they have um, some personal grudge against Al Gore or something. <laughs> yeah. Like, he was so, me- like, he, like watching this show, you would think that, like, Richard Nixon was this really nice guy and Al Gore was this total monster. Like, I don't, yeah, I don't yeah. know. It was super weird. <laughs> but, you know, speaking of that subplot, um, or Al Gore's character on the show, so to speak, uh, Eli Hobson, Daniel Stern's character, I thought was another great addition to the show. Like, he added a lot of, yeah. you know, like, class to it. I, not that mm-hmm. it needs it, you know, but he was yeah. great. I'll have to say one of my biggest surprises was that that was that that character did not have a heart attack and die. <laughs> like I thought for sure he was going to, <laughs> and it was going to cause some kind of chaos with whatever mission they were running at the time, you know, cause it's like, he was really on the verge, man. Yeah. So, uh, I don't know any other, uh, Sarah, any other, uh, any reactions to anything we've been talking about? Um, I do love that the show sort of often tells us that progress comes by accident from selfish root root motives sometimes. Like in season one, you see this with the decision to aggressively bring women into the space program in the 1960s, only because they wanted to compete with the Russians. And because they wanted to compete with the Russians, women, womankind benefited from that massively, right? And it, it was, you know, you can kind of see in this show that there was more equality in, in, in the For All Mankind timeline than there would be with anything, you know, with ours. And then you see it in, you know, in the end of season four, because Ed and Dev are leading this heist. I mean, Ed, you, you can kind of see that Ed is doing this because he's having a, a late life crisis more than anything else. Like, I don't think that Ed really understands the class issues here. I think that he wanted to, you know, be a part of one last uh, mission where he feels like there's a real mission. But I think a lot of it is this sense that he feels like a loss of identity and aging and a, and a fear of aging. And then Dev, of course, has these mysterious, um, you know, reasons for doing his thing. And so it's it's really interesting to me that the show recognizes that, how often there are these moments in, in, our, in history um, where because some entity, some global entity, uh, needed to compete with another, it dramatically alters history, sometimes for the better. And it's it's just a kind of neat thing to watch in this show. Well, but that's consistent with that too, because like in season two or three, like where, when they they um, they don't choose him to be the Mars mission mm-hmm. commander, I guess it's season mm-hmm. three. Oh, yeah. And then he's like, yeah. okay, well, I can, then I'll be the mission commander of the Helios thing. You mm-hmm. know, it's like, yeah. he's so driven by, you know, um, pushing like pushing back spitefully mm-hmm. against people who yep. haven't given him what he wants, <laughs> you know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Actually, that was a that was a really good character moment for Dev as well. Um, when when Ed gets hired as the mission commander and they they bring him to the bridge and it's like he they're showing him around and they're like, oh, this is all automated. Basically, you don't really have to do anything. <laughs> uh, and then Ed was just like no <laughs> and then uh, but and then like dev listened to him and he's like okay we gotta rethink this entire thing uh to the you know to, to uh, you know base it uh on the needs and wants of our commanding our commanding officer here um you know and so i was like i really appreciated that and thought that was a, a good character moment for dev that you know because it's like you know he he had this very you know like we were saying like this tech bro mentality and and thinking like oh well you know we'll just automate all of this you know and uh, uh so i thought that was cool Okay, but so like as I was just doing research just this morning and stuff, like there's just like every headline I read was either like this is the best science fiction show ever, like mm. it's so good, or like why aren't you watching this? Why is nobody watching mm. this? Mm. This is so criminally underrated or underappreciated. 
So um, I'd just like to touch on that a little bit. Mm -hmm. Like, is this, is there any way we can get this show more people watching the show or like, why aren't more people watching the show? Mm -hmm. You know, there seems to be um, a lack of awareness, I think about what the show is exactly. Like I'll admit I was late to the show. I don't think I started Mm -hmm. watching till season two because I didn't really realize what it was. Mm -hmm. Um, I can't remember, but uh, even my girlfriend, um, I got her caught up really quickly. She didn't really know what the show was about. She knew it had something to do with space, but she didn't know it had Mm -hmm. to do with the alternate timeline, Mm -hmm. you know, and and all the issues that the show addresses. So I don't know. I'm glad Apple is seemingly happy to keep making it, even Mm -hmm. though not a lot of people seemingly are watching it, but... Well, I mean, I didn't start watching it until like four weeks ago, so I guess mm-hmm. I'm not really in a position to. Yeah, you're part of the problem, to, Dave. To judge, but I mean, but I mean, my. Um, I watched it from the premiere on. <laughs> we, okay? we, we know, we know, we know. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, but but my my impression of it like was like, oh, this is like an alternate history about like it's set in the 70s or whatever, and it's about mm-hmm. like the Soviet Union and um, you, uh, you know, NASA astronauts on the moon and stuff, which is like, cool. That sounds cool. But like what it actually is, is actually way more interesting to me mm-hmm. than, than that. So I think that's part of the problem is that season one, you know, set the expectation for kind of what the whole show is, but mm-hmm. the whole show isn't actually that that's just season one. Mm-hmm. And of course, you know, the longer the show goes on, it becomes more science fictional, which is kind of half the appeal, but it's also the challenge for the filmmakers because, you know, like they've been trying to keep it grounded in a realistic alternate reality. But, uh, and, and to Sarah's point, yeah, it, it's it's been interesting to see how much of, you know, one of the stronger themes to me is just that, yeah, like the space progress and the program, it only exists in all these things that they're doing better than us because of, you know, competition or perverse incentives. Yeah, well, I hope the fact that we've done two episodes now about this show, like I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that like, you know, maybe some people they saw like For All Mankind season one and two review and they're like, oh, I, I've never watched that. I don't know that much about it. I'm not listening to this podcast. But when then when season three and four comes up on their feed, they're just going to be mm-hmm. like pummeled into submission. They're like, all right, I don't know why yeah. they're doing two podcasts about the same show so close together, but maybe I should look into mm-hmm. it. Well, the good news is the fans it does have are pretty passionate. I mean, people mm-hmm. flew in yeah. all over from <laughs> different parts of the country for that screening, which is kind of wild. Yeah. Yeah. I think that uh, the fact that it's, that it's discussed in all of the Star Trek groups and in mm-hmm. all of the Expanse groups speaks really well of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd say that uh, we could, uh, you know, maybe Dave, you could like write a review of the of the show with no spoilers, and I could publish it in Lightspeed, and and that would that would really get it over the, <laughs> over the line to make it like, oh yeah, no, definitely review it now because it's going to get so many uh, viewers because of that. But you know, uh, you know, in an alternate history, uh, maybe my magazine has that kind of uh, impact on the world, but uh, in in this reality, I don't think so. Well, I think until unfortunate- we could try. You know, like The Expanse is my favorite science fiction yeah. show of all time, but it still has a small audience as, as uh-huh. far as I know. And then Star Trek even, like, you know, my wife teaches college now, and she uses a picture of Spock mm-hmm. at, in one of her lessons. And she says this was the first year that none of the students, these are like freshmen or, you know, first mm-hmm. year student college students, like none of them knew who Spock was. Ugh. And so I feel like even- Well, like, Star- shut the front door. How can you? How can you not know that by cultural osmosis? Yeah, like, hold on though. Which Spock? <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't they, think. They, I mean, this is a picture. Had, like eight Spocks by now. There's no excuse for this. 
Yeah. They would well, know this, the newer this, ones, maybe. This is a picture of Leonard Nimoy. But I mean, yeah. like, you, you think about it, like, if you're, like, 18 now, when you were, like, mm-hmm. you know, like, there hasn't been, like, a Star Trek movie. I mm-hmm. forget, like, how old you would have been when the last, like, movie came out. Mm-hmm. And then, like, the shows are, like, off on Paramount Plus, which I don't know, like, mm-hmm. how many people subscribe to. So it's just, like, even Star Trek right now, like, like if you're like, oh, even Star Trek, like all Star Trek fans are talking about this show. Like even Star Trek, I don't know if has like mm-hmm. enough like cultural juice at this moment in history to like, God, you know, propel so a, a, a show to, you know, to popularity. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, I mean, I'm, I'm totally with you on the sentiment. You know, obviously, I think it's an outrage. Um, mm-hmm. You know, obviously, the American educational system is failing hmm. completely. Yeah. Um, oh, speaking speaking of education, though, one thing I really appreciated is that um, I don't know when this started. I think maybe it was in season three and four, but they uh, it started saying at the beginning of the each episode, like you know, stay tuned after the episode for like you know a science you know a breakdown of the science in this episode. And like I thought mm-hmm. that was really cool. I'm, I'm glad they did that because this show did really take a lot of pains to like try to you know stick to actual science in, in terms of how they approach the all the space flight stuff. You know, well, there was a, a review. I, there was a review I read too that said, you know, this should be like shown in classrooms. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, not just because of the the historical, you know, stuff is interesting, but also because it's one of the only shows on television that presents the idea that the future could be better and like humanity could progress mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Yeah. competence and intellect and uh, and you know, like trying to yeah. make the world a better place could actually work and could actually yeah. have a good impact. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I think that that's, there was a review in the Atlantic I read too, where it's like, if you look at all the other popular shows on television, they're mostly about how bad people are, you know, mm-hmm. and your, you know, your enjoyment comes from being like, oh, wow, these people are really bad, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> whereas this is a show that has some sort of, you know, more, you know, kind of elevated, um, you know, brighter future kind of, um, appeal to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see. I was going to read some of my favorite internet comments I came across. Uh, uh, well, so this one says for all mankind is supposed to have seven seasons, which would place the last one in the 2030s. And I wonder what they'll do for music. <laughs> so <laughs> last, last time you guys were talking about, mm-hmm. spent a lot of time, <laughs> probably too much time talking about, uh, music mm-hmm. in the show. Um, but what do you guys think about that? Like when they get into the decades yeah. where there I feel is like no that's actually, music. Yeah, I feel like that's actually an opportunity to bring up some obscure music that you love from some band that's on that's happening right now, but that very few people know about, you know, instead mm. of, I hope they, I kind of hope they don't do the nostalgic thing where they just, you know, do the, the classics. Uh, I, I think it'd be really cool to have, you know, it'd be a way to highlight artists that people, most people don't know about because that way they're promoting this music. And at the same time, you know, it's made in, in our timeline now, but mm. I think that would be a, a solution. Well, I mean, here's the other thing. Guess what? By the time they make the final season, it will almost be the 2030s. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know. Yeah. The sh- Damn it. It just gonna- blew my mind, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Still they're not going to have to extrapolate as as that far. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. <laughs> oh, man. No, it's it's like in my mind, it's always like perpetually 1996. And then, yeah. you know. Yeah. It would be interesting if, you know, season seven essentially is filmed and 
released in 2028, 2029, and that's the year the show is in, mm-hmm. you know, that could be like essentially, yeah, I think that all lines up pretty cool. Yeah. And it would be like an indictment of, of this reality. It's like, look, look at what we accomplished in this other reality, you fucking idiots. Exactly. <laughs> so they're not going to have to make up music for like 10 years from now. But if they had to, they would probably just use AI or something. You know, it'd be mm. interesting. Oh, God. Let, yeah. let a computer <laughs> extrapolate. <laughs> I wonder no. if they many ideas. <laughs> if they would in the future, if they would go back and like edit in music, you know, like so like in 20 20- 38 or something they mm. would go back and like edit in move music from the 30 you know, from the 2030s into you know season seven or something mm-hmm. for the special edition uh whatever the next blu-ray level will be <laughs> sure yeah <laughs> yeah um so that was one let's see uh one of these says uh even though for all mankind might very well be the best television show i've ever watched the intro is far oh. and away the worst tv intro of <laughs> all time god damn it it's so horrendous <laughs> and they haven't changed it in four seasons <laughs> It's uh, it is very slow and boring. <laughs> it's inspiring. I love that music. I do too. I'm a fan. I, it reminds me of the of the Voyager intro. I'm sorry. Mm. Yeah, the Apple TV intros, uh, as the kids say, are, are fire. I mean, <laughs> like whether it's uh, Foundation or For All Mankind or C. I mean, they're all great. Yeah. I mean, to be honest, I don't really have patience for almost any intro. <laughs> I always skip it. Uh, after, like, I, and like, I'm always like, oh man, season, uh, the episode one of this new season, they're making me watch it. I can't skip it. I have to fast forward it like a barbarian <laughs> or something if I want to skip it. Like, come on. No, you got to watch the new I've already seen sequences. it once. Well, but you, there's little changes. And I know, people. I know, I know, I know. <laughs> I, I'm with you. I, I, I think the uh, intro is underwhelming in this show. And there's like some of them, like like the one for um, Dark on Netflix. I just, mm. I never skip that one. I found it mm, mesmerizing mm-hmm. every time, but this one, I just mm. like skip it right away. Yeah, there are there are shows like that that I, I, I agree. I don't skip them. Like the, the intro to Westworld was just amazing because of like how great the music was and everything. I just wanted to hear Beautiful. the music every time. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this one isn't like that for me. It's just like, it feels like it's too long and it's like, I don't know, it's too slow or, you know, and no, yeah. no, no, no offense to anyone who likes it. It just doesn't. I'm not into it. I mean, I'll agree. It's not as good as Foundations because that mm-hmm. is just unbelievably good. Yeah, that one's but. pretty cool. Um, I forgot to mention. Okay, so um, I guess Raphael, you saw the thing about the um, the uh, Easter egg at the in the last shot of the uh, season four finale. Mm. Do you know what I'm talking about? Which Easter egg? Which one? I don't okay, know. so so apparently, so you see Dev Ayesa on mm-hmm. um, the Goldilocks uh, asteroid, right. which which has this huge moon or like mining operation on it, and the camera sort of pans out, and as it does, it flies over a like a structure that has free Mars graffitied on the roof, mm-hmm. which seems to suggest that season five might involve a uh, moon is a harsh mistress style ah. uh, revolt oh. in which. Mars mm-hmm. declares independence from, mm-hmm. from Earth. <laughs> oh, okay, very cool. Yeah, I'm seeing that now. Yeah, I didn't actually cool. catch it at the time, but that's cool. Yeah, that was a great final shot. And yeah. I mean, they always nail that final sequence, you know, over music yeah. to close out a season. Yeah. Wasn't Dev actually on Mars look like looking yes. up toward the asteroid, though? Uh, yes. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah, he was okay. on the surface and they pull all the way back. Yeah. It was really cool. Yeah. Okay, so he's on Mars looking at the asteroid and we sort of yeah. fly by the asteroid. Right, okay. right. Okay. Yeah. 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 Uh but yeah, no, that was that was a dope shot for sure. I obviously have no idea what their plan is, but it does seem like we're gonna get essentially 
like a Mars arc on the show, like seasons three, four, five, and then we're probably going to start getting beyond, you mm-hmm. know, into the because because you know Ron has every intention of bringing a starship or a mm-hmm. ship into this show at some <laughs> point, you know, and you, yeah. there's got to be a Europa season, so mm-hmm. yeah, gosh, can't wait. Either that or aliens. <laughs> 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 no, Maybe not. not Vulcan, but <laughs> no aliens. Please, no aliens. <laughs> no, it was funny actually in the in the Q and A. Like Joel Kinnaman has apparently been uh, agitating for aliens ever <laughs> since season one, and they're like, "No, we're not doing aliens." <laughs> Shut up, Joel. <laughs> <laughs> But Europa would be awesome. I mean, like, all, yeah. there's like a, that movie, The Europa Report. That's like the mm-hmm. only thing I can think of that has dealt with Europa, like in movies and TV. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, maybe mm-hmm. there's something in the expanse. Well, I think um, Raphael, you were saying, is, is that is that a plot of 2010? They do oh, a very much so. Yeah. Uh, yeah, basically, the Americans and the Russians are each mounting missions to Europa, um, and it's a space race kind of thing. It's really cool. No, I've actually never seen 2010. So. Oh, okay. oh, gosh. I feel like I'm always advocating for that film because, you know, 2001, <laughs> of course, is the timeless classic. <laughs> and 2010, I guess at this point, is just seen as an afterthought. But it's it's a fantastic film in its own right. And it's far more accessible. Like, I have to be in a really particular mood to sit through 2001. Mm-hmm. But 2010 is weed. just a great movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think check it's it. a lot... It's a lot easier to sit through 2001 if you fast forward through the monkey part. At the like, yeah. It's like, why is it so long? If it was, if it was like two, two minutes long, like, okay, sure, I approve of this. But it's like 45 <laughs> minutes. Come on. Yeah. I mean, 2001 is cinema, simple and pure, you know? But like yeah, yeah. Um, 2010 is just a damn good movie. So like tonally, stylistically, it couldn't be any more different, but mm. it's worth watching. Yeah. Well, that's interesting because I feel like I've heard it was kind of like, I don't know, sort of not necessary, like not necessary but if you say oh, it's good mm-hmm. maybe i'll uh, i'll check it out well and at I the mean, very least um, i think you'll see some parallels with season three and you'll mm-hmm. enjoy it and i mean i think arthur c clark actually wrote the story for it didn't he i, I mean because oh, there yeah. is a there is a book that is called 2010 as well i'm pretty sure oh yeah well there's although more. i don't know if it they, came they, they i don't know going. if it came out yeah yeah but right but i mean i don't know if 2010 came out like as a book or if it was just like novelized from the screenplay or something but i mean i, I he was involved in some way anyway all right, cool. So we should get into some final thoughts. So Sarah, final thoughts on seasons three and four of For All Mankind. I think everything's pretty much covered that I can think of. Although since we've just talked about Arthur C. Clarke and Star Trek and all of that, um, I thought it was kind of hilariously cool in this weird way. And that, you know, given everything that we've been talking about, that, you know, there was this lander that was set to deliver ashes of Gene Roddenberry, Maldrell Barrett, um, Arthur C. Clarke, and like something like 70 people um, onto uh, to the surface of the moon, I think. And then it something happened with fuel and they had to basically let it burn up in our atmosphere. And so I just think it's very like fitting. <laughs> um, it's, it's, it's like more romantic to me, I guess, that instead of these the ashes of these wonderful people being on the moon that they burned up in our atmosphere on it <laughs> in a failed mission it just it just feels you know more appropriate somehow and more poetic <laughs> but i just felt like that you know that was relevant actually uh, uh t- speaking of star trek there was a funny thing where i i, I was just reading where so in one of the when um 
Danielle Poole is talking about coming back to Earth. She's talking to her family and she's like, I'm going to make my granddaughter watch all the Star Trek shows. All oh, three, yeah. All three oh, of them. yeah. All three of yeah. them. <laughs> and, and people, there was like, some guy wrote a post where he's like, is this um, Ron Moore's way of throwing shade on Star Trek Voyager? Because he's like in this timeline, <laughs> that show just never existed because I guess he had some sort of like conflict oh. with the uh, creator of that show. Mm-hmm. But but no, but... <laughs> They cleared that up in this in this uh, Q and A where he says in in this timeline the three Star Trek shows are the original series Next Generation and Star Trek Phase Two which was this ah, other Star Trek show yeah, yeah, yeah. which was going to follow <laughs> the original series but never got made but in this timeline mm-hmm. it got made so that's what that was a reference to but no DS Nine or Voyager though huh mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I guess not okay uh, but John yes. final thoughts. Uh, well, you know, like, uh, like I said, I mean, I, uh, um, I overall enjoyed both seasons. I have, I had more, um, criticisms than I had for the first two, but, um, I think it's still a fantastic show. It's still definitely one of the best, uh, science fiction shows ever. Um, and, uh, yeah, everyone should definitely watch it so that we get the full seven seasons. Um, because, uh, no matter how many quibbles you come up with or, or even legitimate grievances. I, I mean, there's so much cool like science fiction space stuff on this show um, that it, it more than makes up for any kind of uh, missteps with uh, whatever drama elements that they've gotten in there, I think. Um, so yeah. Thumbs yeah. up. I, 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 I mean, I love season four, you know, so I'm definitely looking forward to season five. Um, and like, I hope, I really hope they announce that it's been uh approved or greenlit any uh, any day now um but so Raphael, last word on uh, for all mankind you know as the producers themselves said it, it's a transitional season and i think you know you miss characters that we've had before like karen baldwin ellen wilson molly cobb it was the first season without any of them um you know but even with the diminished roles of some of our other main characters you know ed baldwin uh, they still shown really brightly like Ed, Margot, Danny. It's a fantastic show. And I still, you know, I'll always keep watching it week after week. I mean, it's great. Yeah. I mean, I, I had, I had tears in my eyes when we found out that Danny was still alive at the end there. Mm. Like that was, uh, I'm definitely, because apparently she, uh, she suggested that they could kill her off because they said, Mm. you know, because they just had this um, sort of, like a pattern of having some big twist or death mm-hmm. or something in the finale. And she said, just like reading all the, the fan commentary, I can, I just, I know it would be this epic, you know, gut punch that nobody would ever forget if, if mm-hmm. Danny were to oh, die yeah. in the finale. And I can so tell you were, this yeah. much at, at the screening here, when it was revealed that Danny was alive, the audience cheered and clapped. I mean, they mm-hmm. loved Aww. it. And I, and I honestly yeah. think it's interesting that seeing the reaction like that, I, I, I do wonder if it can inform the creative mm-hmm. decisions. You know, I, I think she'll be around the whole show. That's my prediction. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't, I just feel like they're not getting her back into space <laughs> after, after this. Mm-hmm. So I don't, I don't know like what role she'd have in season five, yeah. but I was, yeah, I was just- really... Does Good. anyone know what happened to Wayne? I, I fucking oh, yeah. loved Wayne, Wayne Cobb. Yeah, and like he was just you know, gone. Molly died in the in the bombing, and then they never mentioned Wayne. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you know, by nature of the show, it has to be kind of brutal, I guess, with all the myriad yeah. supporting players. I mean, there's a lot of characters that we only know in how they relate to characters that are part of the show. You know, once those mm-hmm. characters are dead or gone, then those storylines are just gone. Yeah. Yeah. Karen should have said something about Wayne before before she passed. I think mm-hmm. <laughs> somebody fucking loved Wayne, man. <laughs> Maybe he's oh, still alive. I really, 
I really missed Chantel Van Satin. You know, she's so fantastic yeah. in the first three seasons. And it's not the show's fault, but it's just, oh, gosh. You Which know? one's that? Karen Baldwin. Uh, Karen. Oh, that's Karen. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, I actually kind of, uh, I'm not really, I, I wasn't really sold on them killing Karen off. Like, uh, I don't know why she had to die in that. Um, like, you know, it's like they could have just, you know, uh, let her fade into the background. She could have just been a character that didn't continue on in the show without her having to die. But, you know, okay, sure. I know drama, whatever. Um, but in terms of other characters that um, sort of disappeared, like I, I kind of thought that Ellen and uh, Ellen was going to um, go back to the space program after being president, just because like she was mm-hmm. so, so all about, you know, space and everything. Um, uh, so I, I thought that would have been cool. Cause I mean, she was still so young as even like as a president, um, right. you know, that she, she certainly could, I mean, she's way younger than El- Ed Baldwin, I think. I mean, yeah. she looks like it. I can't, I mean, it's hard to tell with these characters as they age them. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I thought that would have been cool. You know, it maybe, wasn't maybe, space maybe she'll be president of Mars. <laughs> you know, <laughs> we didn't really touch on the fact that, uh, she came out as president and that was awesome. Yeah. 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 And then Will also coming out while he was on Mars. Like, yeah. And, uh, I thought that was cool. Yeah, I'd there's a lot to, of yeah. <laughs> a lot of plot lines we uh we didn't have yeah, time yeah, to yeah. get to. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but yeah, but we need to to wrap this up. I mean, sure. I, but I I do hope that Wayne is is uh happy and healthy smoking <laughs> weed uh, <laughs> on a rug somewhere. He's smoking a lot of weed. <laughs> <laughs> I am uh, looking forward to Dev seemingly being you know very central to the rest of the show mm-hmm. going forward because Dev is great. I think we yeah. all agree on that. Oh yeah, yeah. I think that's that's definitely going to happen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and we'll come back probably, uh, assuming season five gets uh, gets uh, made, we'll definitely come back and talk about it until we have can have uh, more to say about it then. But we are all out of time. So for now, we're going to wrap things up there. So we've been speaking with John Joseph Adams, Sarah Lynn Mishner, and Raphael Jordan. So thanks to everyone so much for joining us. Always good to be here. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Dave. See you next time. And that was our panel. So big thanks again to John Joseph Adams, Sarah Lynn Mishner, and Raphael Jordan for joining us on the show. This episode of Geek's Guide to the Galaxy was made possible thanks to support from listeners like you. So if you enjoyed the show and want it to continue, please support us on Patreon over at patreon.com geeks, or via PayPal over at geeksguideshow.com crowdfunding. All right, so that was our show. So thanks, everyone, for listening, and we'll see you next time. The Geek's Guide to the Galaxy is a production of Wired.com. For more information about the show, visit geeksguideshow.com. To learn more about your host, visit davidbarkirtley.com. Music and voiceover produced by yours truly, Jack Kincaid. If you enjoyed this program, tell your friends. If you didn't enjoy it, tell no one. Thank you for listening.